0: You know, we've all experienced it. Every person in this room, I don't care how young or how old you are, we've all experienced this same thing. You can't get around it. You can't deny it. It defines us in time, and it defines us in culture. It captures a moment in our life like very few things can do. I'm talking about your hairdo. Hey, let's do this. Let's do this. Everybody raise your right hand and just repeat after me, all right? Raise your right hand, repeat after me. I promise to be absolutely truthful, no matter how embarrassing it may be. What I'm going to do is we're just going to start with the 50s. We're just going to kind of take it decade by decade. If you wore this hairdo, man, we don't do one of these things, all right? Man, when you got it, you was proud of it back in the day, you know, and And so be proud of it now. So back in the 50s, you had... Did you have either one of these looks back in the 50s? Yeah? The pixie? Yeah, right there. You had the duck head? Nice. Nice. Little John Travolta look. What about the 60s? What about this look? Let's see those hands. Oh, man. Don't you women wish the beehive would come back, huh? My goodness, I remember that. You know, I remember that more from church than I remember it from anywhere else. You know, my mama, she she would always wear her hair up. And the first time I ever saw her after she had washed her hair, her hair was like down to this. And it like scared me. I didn't know who she was. I just seen the little beehive. Look, how many of you guys had the shag beetles thing? Well, we'll just go on. Uh, how many had the bouffant hairdo? Yeah, some of you are like really. Nah. Anybody here put the uh, have the uh, corn rolls? <laughs> Any of you really wanted to try the corn roll look? Yes. Well, that brings us up to the seventies. What about this look? <laughs> yep, the fair feather right there, and uh, and how many of you guys had the mullet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good look. Matter of fact, so far, some of you have had every hairstyle we've thrown up here. What's really scary is Tom's had it for both guys and girls that we've, that we've thrown up here. So we had the, you know, the farah look. Matter of fact, I've, seen, I've been in a lot of your homes and I've seen your, sister, seen your picture and you had that look going on there, you know. Sweet. Well, then it takes us to the 19, uh, the 1980s. Oh, yeah, the perm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the perm right there. And then the rat tail. Yeah, I kind of figured you'd be with me on the rat tail. Tom, no rat tail? No? All right. All right. Then we got to the 1990s. Television really started to influence everything. This was the Rachel. The Rachel haircut, kind of down. Flowing front of the face. And then, then the other was just the messy hair. You just kind of wash it. You just kind of tassel it and mess it up and just kind of go. You know? How many of you had had those? Right there. Yeah. Some of you are saying, I still got it today. You know? It's like, that's really from the 90s. And then 2006. Hang on. Wait a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. 2006 was a unique year... Because the bob came back with bangs, right? And then it was the first year where bald was kind of like the chic thing to be if you were bald, all right? How many of you have done that in and uh, 2006? Yeah. By the way, there's one I didn't put on here, and that's the comb-over. You know what the comb-over is, guys? And come where you start way back there and you pull it all the way around, we won't raise hands on that. Hair has this kind of thing of defining us, doesn't it? And kind of, kind of you can remember, oh no, that was a senior picture. That was high school, that was junior high. Some of the younger ones are going, man, that just looks crazy weird to me. But when you get 40, your hairstyle is gonna look crazy weird to everybody else. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Perhaps these are some of the most misunderstood verses in the New Testament. I'm specifically speaking about verses 3 and 4. Let me read those to you. It says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, the wearing of gold, and jewelry, or fine clothes. Now, let me just stop there. I've heard many preachers preach that women should not fix their hair That women should not wear jewelry, that women should not wear makeup because of this verse. Now if we're going to be consistent, if you're not going to fix your hair, and if you're not going to wear jewelry, and if you're not going to wear makeup, what also are you also not to wear? Clothes. If you're going to be consistent. Peter is not talking about it's wrong to have the bouffant or the beehive or, or the mole. He's not talking about that or jewelry or accessories. And then a lot of you ladies just went, ooh, pressure's off. What he is saying is that it's wrong to put more attention on those things that draw attention to your outside nature than it does to put the emphasis On those things that draw people to the inside or the inner quality of your heart. Verse 4 says, instead it should be that of your inner self. Not hidden self. Inner self. Because true beauty is an inside out deal. Isn't it? You can put on pretty. You know what I'm saying? You can put on pretty. You can put on makeup. You can put your face on Photoshop and look like a supermodel. You can put on pretty, but you can't put on beauty. Because beauty is an inside out. Now, what we do is we have a world that's infatuated with pretty and think that pretty is beautiful and that true beauty. Is it really needed anymore? Peter is drawing our attention back to the fact that true beauty is from the inside out. The text is defined for us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. Uh, it's, it's talking about this whole living in submission and, and, and being a Christ follower. And here in verse 21 it says, To this you were called. To what? Because Christ suffered for you, that's the reason we're called, leaving us an example. But here's what we're called to do, that we should follow in his steps. The call of God on my life, the call of God on your life, is that you and I should be Christ's followers. That we should follow in his steps. Remember when it snows around here and we didn't have any last year, thank the Lord. But when it snows two, three, four inches and somebody goes to the the car and needs the first one out. And then the next one of the family tries to put their feet in the next, you know, so they don't get their feet and stuff. That's what we're supposed to do with Christ. Wherever he steps, that's where we're to place our feet. Wherever he goes, that's where we're to walk. We're to be Christ followers. So what was happening in this early church was you had people who said they were following christ but their steps said they were following after something else their lips said i'm a christ follower their actions said i'm following something else Peter's saying, don't live like the people who follow something else. Live like people who are called to be Christ followers. Live like that. With 1 Peter 22, 1, 2, chapter 2, verse 21 as the backdrop, he talks about being in submission. Peter writes to wives in chapter 3 who have non-believing husbands... And he tells these wives of non-believing husbands not to rely on makeup to impress them or to woo them. But to have a submissive spirit. Now, submissive spirit is not a bad word. The Bible makes it clear that, in essence, man and woman are equal. There is an essence of equality. One is not any superior than the other. One may be smarter than the other. One, in the You know, one female, one male may be smart than the other. One may run faster than the other. One may have longer hair than the other. But as far as equality of essence, of value and worth, there is no difference. But there is a difference in function. The home does have structure for it and to it. And God's plan is that both husband and wife bring their strengths to the marriage to complement the weaknesses of the of the spouse of their spouse so that the two are stronger together than they would ever be apart and for the run, for the home to run effectively the strengths of each spouse are to be used and when the strengths of each spouse do not address the situation at hand the family is to work together as the husband provides this area or provides leadership In the area where no one has the strength. Does that make sense? The wife is not to compete against the leadership of her husband, but to work with his leadership in the home. Being a submissive wife means working with your own husband's leadership in the home in an honoring way so that the home can bring the greatest glory to God. So here in the text, Peter is talking about true beauty. He's not talking about something fake, spray on, put on, you know, updo and all that kind of stuff. The Christian woman is to give time and attention to true beauty, which comes from the inside out. The world gives its time and attention to putting on beauty and outside only endeavor. But Peter is saying, don't live like that. Go back to verse 4. Or chapter three, verses three and four. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Nothing wrong with being pretty. Matter of fact, most guys I know, every guy I know, dated, married his wife because at some level, he thought she was pretty. I have never known of a man who goes, who has gone into marriage thinking. This woman is so ugly, nobody would ever marry her, so I'm going to marry her, just uh We don't think that way. Physical attraction and physical beauty is okay. What Peter is saying is don't put your emphasis there. That's the wrong spot. Matter of fact, the word for beauty is the word cosmos, which means world, which means ordered, adorned, confused. It's where we get our word cosmetics. So he's saying, don't put your emphasis on what you put on. Because whatever you put on, you can just as easily take off. He's saying, put your emphasis on that inner quality. There's nothing wrong with cosmetics. Everybody understand that? I believe in the philosophy that I heard an old country preacher preach one time. I did not say this. I'm just simply repeating it. He said in his own country dialect, he said if the old barn needs painting, paint it. I'm not against cosmetic. I am against an overemphasis on the exterior without attention to the interior heart of the soul. Does that make sense? Because for us to understand what Peter is doing, he's addressing the culture of his day. So what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of step out of our day into his culture and see what we can, we can learn. So let's step into his culture. In Peter's day, a woman's hair and hairstyle, by the way, there's three things, his, her hair and her jewelry and her clothes, and so we're going to kind of pick apart each one of those for just a second. In Peter's day, a woman's hair and hairstyle clearly defined her. It told society who she was. Much like today, hair for the Romans was much an expression of personal identity as our clothes are. Hairstyles were determined by, the, by a number of factors, namely gender, age, social status, wealth, profession. They told the world... Who you were. Matter of fact, the higher your hair went, picture the beehive. It meant the more money you had. The more ringlets that you had in your hair. Or gold netting you had in your hair. Meant that you had a position of authority. And the more gold you had in the hair, the more higher that position of authority. And so what was going on? And that day, because hair was a very erotic area of the female body for the Romans, and the attractiveness of the woman was tied to the presentation of her hair, hair was seen as much an indication of wealth and social status as it was a taste in fashion. But unlike your hairstyle, comfort, and, and kind of the natural hair thing, for the Romans took a back seat for the wearer to display... Their hair, and so a woman would do these hair jobs, these hairdos, these updos, and they would spend hour after hour after hour. Matter of fact, because Peter lived in a time where slavery was throughout the Roman Empire, they would have slaves who would grow their hair and cut it so that their owners could have a wig. There were slaves who were there to do their hair, like almost like a personal beautician who would dye out the gray. That didn't start with Grecian here. Or they would pull the gray hair out of their... If you started pulling my gray out, there'd be nothing left up top. And so what Peter was saying is, listen... If you're the spouse of an unsaved spouse, if you're a believer and you're married to a non believer, and you think that if you can just get pretty enough, if you can do your hair just enough, and, and if you look good enough, that your husband will love you more. And what he later was trying to say is you're putting your emphasis on the wrong thing. It's not the exterior that needs the attention. It's the interior that needs the attention. The problem was that the Christian women were spare, was spending way too much time and attention looking like the non-believing Roman women instead of looking like Christ. That was the core issue here. The time and attention that should have been invested in looking like Jesus Christ. They were more concerned about looking like the Roman women. And I don't know who would want to look like the woman in the middle. But they would. Tear after tear, layer after labor. By the way, we have a similar fixation with hair. Stylist.com says that the average woman will spend $50,000 on their hair and hair products in a lifetime. That just blows me away. Some of you ladies are going, is that all? (laughs) Peter's principle is not don't fix your hair. Even though some of those hairdos we saw, you know... Earlier in the slide presentation, some of those ought to be banned forever, right? The mullet should never, ever come back. Amen. The beehive, gone and gone for good. Amen. But Paul, Peter is not saying, Don't fix your hair. Peter is saying, If you want to impact your man, if you want to impact your family, then you put the time, effort, and priority on developing the inner beauty of Christ's likeness and live like that. Follow in his steps. So Peter addresses the hair issue. Then, then he also mentions jewelry. The word jewelry means to the act of putting around. They would put it around their ears... You know, they had pierced ears back in the day. They would put it around their head. They would put it around their neck. They'd put it around their wrists. They'd put it around their waist. They'd put it around their ankles. And, and they'd even put it around their toes. I mean, anything that you could wrap gold around, the Romans were big on wrapping gold around. Again, because the jewelry showed your place in society. It told who you were and it told others, you better honor me because I'm wearing the bling. Peter is saying, come on now. He didn't have a problem with jewelry. He did have a problem with Christians following after other non-Christians and trying to define themselves by a false value system instead of a Christ-like value system. Man, there's nothing wrong with a hairdo. I want you to know that. Matter of fact, husbands, listen, treat your honey to a new do this week, all right? Just do it. It'll get you out of the doghouse. Buy a new piece of jewelry. But I'm telling you, ladies, the new hairdo and the new jewelry, because I'm telling you, you know what you do, ladies. You strike fear into the heart of every man when you do this. You come home, we come home, we're home together, and you look at us and go, notice something different? Well, number one, guys, we're in trouble because we didn't notice and she had to call it to our attention, right? We're already in the doghouse. And then you start guessing. New hair. Then she goes, What about it? <laughs> Got a cut? Nope. Got a new part? Nope. Highlights. Don't you see the highlights? Come on. Listen, Peter is not against that. He's just simply saying that the value system that the world identifies, worth, and beauty... And status in society is not the same value system that a Christian is to follow. We're not to follow after the world. We're not world followers. We're Christ followers. We're not to follow after the steps of the world. We're to follow after Jesus Christ. We are to follow First Peter 2.21 in his steps. And clothes. Nothing wrong with clothes. I'm glad you're all wearing clothes. Peter mentions fine clothes, and it was clothing in Roman day was designed to, designed to reveal the social status of the wear. It was designed to tell others if you had money or not, if you were important or not, you're standing in society or not. Peter said, uh-uh, no. Listen, if you're more interested in looking like Anne Hathaway or Katy Perry than you are Jesus Christ, you've missed the whole concept of beauty. And while this is not a message on modesty, I do want to tell you clothes are four, three things. Protection, propriety, in other words, wearing the appropriate clothes for the appropriate occasion, and then modesty, modesty. Ladies, let me, just t- let, me just, let me just beg you, because teenagers and below, men in this church, live in such a sensual age, dress modestly. Several years ago, I did a camp in North Carolina where Brad Perry, one of our former interns here, was running the camp. And God just moved in an incredible way. On Friday night, it was one of those services where every kid just went to the altar and kids were getting saved and, and one kid stood up and gave this testimony and, and he apologized to, the, to his youth group. That he had put value on the wrong thing and he put emphasis on the wrong thing and that he wasn't a friend and that you know he was drinking and drugging. I mean, he, he just went on confessing and, and he was really committed he's in Bible college today. It's really kind of a cool story. But at the end of his testimony, he said, girls. Us guys, we love you, but sometimes you make it hard to follow Jesus by the way you dress. If you want us to be godly men, then help us by the way you dress. And every guy in that camp, instantaneously and unprovoked, stood and applauded that statement. Modesty is important. Even though this isn't a message on modesty, it's, it's a message on what do you value. Do you value the pretty that you could put on? Or do you value Christ's likeness? Verse 4 gives us the answer. Instead, what you should be focusing on is that inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great word to God. And if something is of great word to God, we better understand what it is. To live with a gentle and quiet spirit, that's a great word to God. The word gentle has a caress in it. That behind the gentleness stands strength of steel. The supreme characteristic of a gentle woman is that she lives under perfect control. She's not given to panic. She exudes strength. She's quiet. That together suggests being under control. It, It also means that she is a calming influence. You put those two words together. You put quiet and gentle together. You're talking about a strength of character, strong, self-controlled, self-controlled, describing a person of quiet, elegance, and dignity. This has great worth and value in the sight of God. And Peter says, live like that. So let's get real practical. Let's just kind of get right where we live here just a little bit. And let's take it from Peter's world, drop it back into our world. We know that there's nothing wrong with cosmetics, jewelry, and clothes. However, however, some of you will spend hours and hours shopping, but only seconds praying for your family. Don't live like that. There's something wrong with that. Some of you will spend time cleaning up, fixing up, putting on the eyeshadow, putting on the foundation, putting on the earrings, putting on the stuff. And yet you will never pick up God's word to read it, to develop those wonderful inner qualities of Christ likeness. Peter saying, don't live like that. Some of you, if you find a bargain, if you find a deal about a new beauty product that works for you, you can't wait to tell somebody else. You'll Twitter it, you'll Facebook it, you'll Pinterest it, you'll, you'll text it, you'll email it, you'll even be old-fashioned and call somebody about it. But you'll never invite somebody or tell somebody about Jesus Christ who can truly change their life. Peter's saying, don't live like that. Do you get the point? If you want a better home, if you want to be a better wife, if you want to be a better husband, you have to put time into developing Christ-likeness in our lives. You can fake pretty with hairdos, jewelry, and accessorizing, and clothes, but you can't fake inner beauty that comes from only following Jesus Christ. So no matter my hairdo, accessories, or clothes, I am a Christ follower, and I want to live like that. I believe that Jesus Christ changes lives from the inside out, and I want to live like that. I believe in the life-changing power of the Word of God. I believe in the power of prayer. I want to be a man of God who prays. I want to live like that. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to give it all I have so that everything that I say and do in my life points clearly to Jesus Christ. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to live like that. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 calls us to live for Christ, to sell out. To not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I want to live like that. And I want to live in such a way that the world knows that it's not the clothes and it's not the tie. And I hate a tie. And even on Father's Day, my wife threw out a tie. I'd much rather be up here in jeans and a t-shirt. But whether I'm in a suit or a tie or jeans or a t-shirt, I want you to know it's not the Christ It is not the clothes that I wear that defines me. It is the Christ that lives within me that declares me to be a Christ follower. And I will follow Jesus Christ. I will choose to live like that. And what Peter was simply saying is you have a choice. You can choose to live like that, the world. Or you can choose to live as a Christ follower. To put the emphasis on the inner man, the inner woman, strength and dignity, character and value so that at the end of your day, the world knows that Christ lives in you because you have given your life to Jesus Christ because he's died on the cross and for the rest of your days, you with reckless abandonment, you will follow Jesus Christ. And yes, I want to live like that. And my challenge to you today is to be a man and a woman of God who will choose to live like that.